facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to Wednesday on The Kale Clark Show. I'm so glad that you're with me today. It's the 31st of January, last day of the month. So it's your last chance to say that you talk to me in January and I talk to you. So give me a call right now, 888-914-9149. If you want to chime in on any of the stuff that we're going to talk about today on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. That's our listener line sponsored by, of course, the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance, 888-914-9149. You can email me. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And also you can find me on the X app, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. We're going to crack open another, that's a real sound effect, it's not even fake, another fresh show for you. And uh, we're going to start with something that, oh, I, I just love talking about this, because to me it's it's one of the greatest examples of why you can trust the Holy Gospels. The church is not making things up. These are not fairy tales. When we're talking about the life of Jesus of Nazareth, and I really want to emphasize the of Nazareth part, because if you went to Mass today, maybe you're going to go tonight after the show, I don't know, but you heard the reading from the Gospel today, and today's the feast day of St. John Bosco, by the way, or Don Bosco, as he's often known. Don Bosco had some terrible and terrifying dreams and visions that, that just kind of drove him. I'm going to talk about these two famous dreams that he had. They're, they're, they're not for the faint of heart, but they're incredibly prophetic. And um, I'm going to share those with you in, in just a little bit. But first of all, first of all, I want, I want to talk about the gospel reading today because it just so happens to be from Mark chapter 6 when Jesus went into his hometown of Nazareth. So here's what it says. Jesus departed from there and came to his native place, in other words, his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They said, where did this man get all this? What kind of wisdom has been given him? What mighty deeds are wrought by his hands? Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his native place, and among his own kin, and in his own house. So he was not able to perform any mighty deed there, apart from curing a few sick people by laying his hands on them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. (laughs) May Jesus never say that about you and me. He was amazed at their lack of faith. May he be amazed, if anything, at the audacity of our faith. So we have have to stop taking Jesus for granted, number one. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. But but what I wanted to say about this is that there's no way in the world that any Catholic Christian would make up a story about Jesus being rejected by people in his hometown, extended family, people that knew him since he was knee-high to a grasshopper, etc., etc. There's no way this story is made up. If you're trying to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah, you're not going to make up something. This is, this is, quite frankly, pretty embarrassing. And in Luke's Gospel, of course, we have the famous count in Luke chapter 4 of Jesus' homily in Nazareth. Maybe this is at another time. They didn't like it, and they tried to kill him. 
It's a killer homily. They, they wanted to get rid of him. We don't want to hear this guy ever again. So all you priests out there, bishops, deacons, people aren't reacting well to your homilies. You're in very good company. So at any rate, um, that, that's another gospel for another time. But I do want to talk about what it, what it says here. In, in Matthew's gospel, it actually says that he's the carpenter's son, Joseph's son. Maybe, maybe Matthew's embarrassed about, about that. Maybe, I don't know. But Mark very clearly says that Jesus himself is a carpenter. Is, is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary? So, obviously, this is something he would have learned from St. Joseph. And by the way, by the way, he probably was much more than simply a woodworker, uh, more than a carpenter in many ways, of course. But uh, the word tecton has the, this connotation of being perhaps an architect, a bit of an engineer, as well as somebody who is skilled with working with all kinds of different materials, not just wood, but, but probably stone and, and all kinds of things. And there was a great building project that was going on not very far, just a, a few miles away from Jesus' hometown in Nazareth, and that's this big, big city of Sepphoris. And I, I've talked about this before. It's very, very common for preachers and writers to kind of romanticize Nazareth as a kind of a backwater town. Jesus is from the boonies. He's from the sticks, as it were. Um, a little bit like my favorite basketball player of all time, Larry Bird, who was called the Hick from French Lick, Indiana. And he used to play that up. He, Larry was pretty smart, but he, he used to play up that country bumpkin image. And people sort of think uh, that Jesus was kind of from this little country backwater town. And there's no question that Nazareth was pretty small at the time of Jesus, maybe 400 people. But there's a huge city right next door. And Jesus could actually see the lights of that city, Sepphoris, from his bedroom window. And maybe his later parables about the kingdom of God were influenced by the city. He called the the city of God a shining city on a hill. That's exactly what Sepphoris was. It would be lit up at night, very beautiful with torches, and um, it would have been quite a sight. And by the way, that's also the city where the Virgin Mary grew up, according to tradition. Her parents are from there, and Jesus probably traveled there quite often to have sleepovers at his grandparents' place, you know, and just hang out with the family. So he would have went there a lot. Huge building projects by Herod Antipas that were taking place there too. Uh, he Greco there's a great theater there. This is where Jesus gets all his stuff about the play actors, the hypocrites in the Sermon on the Mount from the theater at Sepphoris. And uh, I've, I've written articles about this before. And uh, this is in all likelihood where he gets this from. And there's lots of work to be had for tectons for workers like Joseph and like Jesus. So, ha- having said that. This idea that that he's from some sort of backwater place, um, that is not the truth at all. So anyways, but in terms of his carpentry stuff, um, Mark does call him very specifically a carpenter. And I don't know, maybe maybe the shop motto of Joseph and Jesus' carpentry shop would have been, you know, my yoke fits well. (laughs) My yoke fits well. Take my yoke upon you. Okay, okay. The yoke's on me right now, I think. That's a bad joke. But anyways, everything here, the fact that he's rejected in his hometown, where is he getting all this wisdom? What's with all these mighty deeds that he's doing? What that really says to me, and it should say this to you as well, is that Jesus' childhood was normal. His growing up was normal. Now, he's far from, from normal as the incarnate Son of God, but the bottom line is, 
you can throw out, I don't know if you've heard of the quote-unquote infancy gospels of Jesus. Very often, you'll see these programs on uh, on television or perhaps uh, you might see them on YouTube in the media where, where scholars are trying to tell you that the church is hiding things from you. There are these other gospels, quote-unquote, that the church doesn't want you to read. The infancy gospels. Okay, you should read these things. I, I tell people to read them. You should absolutely read them. They're out there. They're on the internet. Uh, you will see. You will see that there's a reason why the church did not include these in the Bible. They're completely bogus, and you don't have to be a religious scholar to to figure this stuff out. I mean, there's fanciful stories. Jesus turning clay pigeons into real birds. Um, bullies in the schoolyard. He'll just zap them, turn them into stone. Um, he and his buddies are playing soccer on a rooftop. One kid falls off and dies. Jesus just says, no problem, brings him back to life. And then he just continues on with the game, scores the winning goal. I mean, if that stuff was really going on, why would the townspeople be take such offense to Jesus? I mean, this is all a shock to them, the things that he's saying, the things that he's doing. So this to me tells me that he was very, very normal in his upbringing. And he doesn't start doing miraculous deeds until his public ministry really begins. And here's another thing, too. There's also maybe a, a hint at something, a slander directed towards Jesus. Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary? The son of Mary. Very very interesting that he would be called Mary's son and not Joseph's son. Now, it could be. It could be simply because Joseph has passed away at this point. And that's quite plausible because Joseph does not appear on the scene during Jesus' public ministry. Most people think he's died by this point. And he had a very, very holy death, according to tradition. Jesus and Mary being at his bedside, seeing him into eternity. And he wakes up and they're there again. Whoa, how about that? So, But that's that's the way to go for sure. But it could also be, and some scholars think that this could also be a slander of sorts towards Jesus. Oh, he's, he's Mary's son. He's not Joseph's son. He's not really Joseph's son. People knew that there was something mysterious about Jesus' conception and birth. Something very mysterious about it. And as the church got going... Uh, as the gospel began to spread, there were a, a number of slanders directed towards Jesus and really outright, outright blasphemies directed towards him and towards Our Lady. Uh, some Jewish opponents of the gospel, and many, of course, and this is something we've been talking about a lot on the Faith Explained show recently, as we've been looking at St. Paul's letter to the Romans. He, he, Paul, Paul, the Jewish rabbi, Saul, who became Paul, he gets really, really into the relationship between the church and Israel Many Jews, thousands of Jews, did believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Think about how many people turned out at the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Were super excited about him coming into the city. They certainly thought he was the Messiah. Thousands of Jews, according to the New Testament, converted after Easter. But some did not. In fact, the vast majority did not. And there were some slanderers out there who were opponents of the gospel. They didn't believe in the virginal conception of Jesus. In fact, they said he was illegitimate, and uh, there's a there's a well-known slander. It's in the Jewish Talmud, uh, saying that Jesus' real father was a Roman soldier named Ben Pantera, which means son of the panther. 
Not true, of course, uh, a great blasphemy. But what, one of the reasons why they said that was because they wanted to try to de-emphasize Jesus' Jewishness. Uh, oh, no, his, his dad's really a Roman soldier. And so that's, that could be why. That could be why this is in there. It, he was, he's called Mary's son. There's already some question about the mysterious circumstances surrounding his birth. But what this really does, in fact, to me, if that's the case, this is a backhanded compliment to the Incarnation. It really underscores the truth because already people know there's something different about Jesus' conception and birth. He, he, didn't, he didn't sort of arrive in the usual way. There's some question about what's going on there. But also the fact that people actually are offended by him in his own hometown and even extended family members don't believe in him. And there's another scene in Mark's Gospel where they try to take charge of him. This huge crowd listening to Jesus. They can't even get to him because of the crowd. And they're like, he's out of his mind. Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? Who does he think he's become? Let's get him back to his carpentry shop and get him in his right mind here. So, to me, this this really underscores the idea of the, the reality of the incarnation. That Jesus is fully human, had a normal human upbringing. Of course, he, he's the God-man. But... It, I don't know if you'd agree with me, and you're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, but I think that really non-believers in Jesus these days, they, they tend to mostly doubt, they don't doubt he was a real historical person. There's some crackpots that do doubt he was real, and we've dealt with that, but most non-believers in Jesus don't really think that he's God. Like They doubt his divinity. But I feel like, and I don't know if you'd agree with me, I feel like in the church, sometimes we really don't believe in his full humanity. We, we don't believe in the other side of the incarnation. We almost think like he's God with a mask walking around, like the, a human mask, but he's not fully human. Nobody is 100% God, 100% man as well. So Jesus did not, as a toddler, he wasn't speaking three languages fluently. <laughs> um, Hebrew for the synagogue, you know, know some Greek to do business, some Latinisms from the Roman Empire. He, he, didn't, he didn't learn three languages, Aramaic, street language, make it four languages. He had to learn how to talk, you know, in, in his human nature. And, 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 and so all of this nonsense from the infancy Gospels, these apocryphal Gospels that were written a long, long time after the New Testament, they're legendary tales crazy stories about Jesus as a kid and, and, and miraculous deeds that he was doing. He did do miracles, but not when he was growing up. This this is all in the public ministry. So, I don't know. And other people say, well, what about, what about when he was 12 years old? How could he possibly be that wise in the temple? The finding of the child Jesus in the temple, it's one of the mysteries of the rosary, of course. He's teaching the teachers. He's teaching the scribes. He's teaching the doctors of the law. How is that possible at 12 years old? Well, well, first of all, he is the incarnate son of God. He may have some advantages there for sure, but don't forget, when you're 12 years old, you're, you're an adult in that po- at that point in the Jewish community. We talked about the little girl that he raised from the dead who's 12 years old. She's essentially on the cusp of adulthood in the community. That's when you have your bar mitzvah these days. We, we've all known precocious kids growing up, kids in our class at school who were just like really smart beyond, beyond their years. And, and, and it's not as if Jesus was wasting his adolescence playing Xbox or something like that. He would have been reading the scriptures. 
he's not watching TV. Um, he's not binge. I mean, he could binge listen to relevant radio if he was in. Yeah, he'd love that if he had that available to him at that time. But no, he he was delving into the scriptures and and, and just being well formed. But he he is of course on another level. There is of course his divinity too. So we we can't dis, discount that. The point is though. The point is that the incarnation is real. It's real. So this, this should actually really encourage us. This account, but like I said. Like I said, there's no no one would ever, ever make up a story about Jesus being rejected in his hometown unless unless it really happened. And we, we've all probably had that experience. We uh, Maybe if our family members don't listen to us, uh, people that we know, no prophet is except in his hometown. We sometimes say this about ourselves. But even in Israel, the, the prophets were often not listened to. The prophets that God sent Israel were rejected by the by the people, and it, it's it's easy to see how they could have rejected Jesus too. They said, "Well, we've known you since you were a kid. Who are you to teach us?" I don't believe this. It's always if it's hard for Jesus, it's going to be hard for you and me as well to reach family and friends. It's just it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is, and so it's happened to someone far greater than you and I. So it shouldn't bother you if it if it happens. To you, a um, qu- couple of quick stories about how much time do I have for break, Jim? Okay, okay, good, good, good. I got time. T- a couple of quick stories about Nazareth too. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Nazareth. Um, if you've been on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, but when I whenever I take uh, pilgrims there, it's an interesting place to go visit because one of the things that you see. On the on the outskirts of the, the Nazareth has changed a lot uh, over the centuries. Many Christians still live there, but uh, it's also become a home to uh, I would say probably even a majority Muslim population. And there is a there's a great big billboard. You've probably seen this when you when you've gone into the town if you if you've gone to Nazareth. There is a, a billboard that was placed that says it, it's actually a, a quote from the Quran. And uh, it's sort of a warning to to Christians. It says, O people of the scripture, which is a reference to Christians, do not exceed the limits of your religion. Say nothing but the truth about Allah, the one true God. The Christ Jesus, son of Mary, was only a messenger of God. It goes on to say, believe in God and his, and his messengers and do not say three gods. And that's a reference to the Trinity. The Trinity is not three gods. There's only one God. Um, cease, it will be better for you. Indeed, Allah is the one and only God. His holiness is far above having a son. That's what it says on the billboard. He has no son. So this idea of doubting the divinity of Jesus, it happened in the first century. It happens in the 21st century uh, from various groups. And so th- this is something that, by the way, nobody's, tr- there were, I don't know who put it up. Apparently, according to people who live in Nazareth, and I read an article about this that um, nobody has tried to, to speak up about it. Nobody's tried to remove it, um, according to Bashara Shailan, who is a prominent uh, Christian resident of Nazareth. And so a lot of Christians have actually left uh, the city of Nazareth, and, and that, that is, that is a, a great tragedy. Uh, also, by the way, another thing that happens, and I don't know if it's on purpose or not, I hope that it's not, but at the time of the Angelus, 12 noon, 
There's, of course, the Basilica of the Annunciation, which is a, a magnificent basilica in Nazareth. It's absolutely amazing uh, if you haven't been there. But um, when the bells ring for the Angelus at noon, at that same time in the mosques, the Islamic call to prayer will happen, and it'll be blasted um, through, the, through the loudspeakers throughout the town, almost as if to drown out the Angelus. And I hope that's not uh, the motive. But uh, at, at any rate... Um, Seeing that billboard um, in, in Nazareth, where, of course, uh, God became incarnate, uh, God became man, the Word was made flesh. It's 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 pretty. Um, it, we've got work to do to evangelize the world and um, people that that don't know the truth yet. And so there, there's a lot of that out there. And then one other thing about Nazareth I wanted to say is that I do have to have a friend who grew up in Nazareth, who's from Nazareth. I met her in Canada. Um, and it was really interesting how this happened at my, at my local parish. I just want to tell this quick story. Uh, for about 10 years, as you know, after, after my wife and I got married, we were unable to have kids. I thought I'd have 10 kids by now. It wasn't God's plan. But before um, we conceived our daughter, Michaela, um, there, was a, there was a lady who came up to, to us at ma- after Mass, piercing blue eyes, um, Never seen this woman before. And she said, look, you guys don't know me from, from Adam, but I, I, I want to say something to you. Um, I, I struggled with whether or not I should tell you this. I don't, I don't know whether I should or not, but I'm going to just go for it anyways because I feel like God wants me to tell you this. So she, she told me that her, who, what her name was. She said she was from Nazareth. She grew up there, Jesus' hometown. And she said recently she was back home in Israel and she went into, she was in Jerusalem. She went into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is the holiest site on planet Earth. This is where Jesus covers the whole area where Jesus was crucified, died, was buried, and was resurrected from the dead. So she was there at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And while she was there, she said she had a vision of a woman holding a baby. And she came up to my wife, Patricia, and she said, You were the woman in my vision holding this baby. And I, I mean, my wife just, she didn't know who this person was. Uh, we've since become friends, but she didn't know who this person was, what she was all about, whether this was some sort of an elaborate hoax, but she started bawling. I mean, cause you, I mean, this was, this was her great, you know, agony at this point, not being able to have a child. And so to hear this, what, what is this? Is this from God? Is it not? And she said, look, I just want to say, I had this vision of a woman holding a baby. And that woman was you. When I saw you at mass, I'd never seen you before in my life. I said, this is the woman from my vision. And so I just had to tell you this. And shortly after that, guess what? We had the baby. So that's, that's a good Nazareth story as well. All right, you're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. That's the number to call. And we will be right back. Speaking of dreams and visions, Don Bosco had a couple doozies. We'll tell you after the break. The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call if you want to react to what we were talking about earlier. Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. And also today, big feast day. Feast day of a very, very popular saint, Saint John 
Don Bosco. Yeah, that's one guy, not two. Um, someone who works at Relevant, I don't know if they want to identify themselves, was saying, you know what? I actually thought they were two different guys. I thought there was a St. John Bosco and St. Don Bosco. Maybe they were brothers, the Bosco brothers, um, like the Kelsey brothers. Uh, no, there's one guy. By the way, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you on that. I used to actually think that they were two different guys as well when I came back into the Catholic Church and I figured it out. I should have known. I should have known because Don, of course, uh, as producer Jim and I were talking about during the break, it's, of course, Italian for father. Think about the godfather. Don Corleone, and uh, as Jim said, that's that's not the kind of godfather you want. You want somebody like St. Don Bosco instead. Absolutely, 100%. He's a, he's a much better spiritual father, and he really is, of course, the spiritual father to the Salesian community. Now, not, just a couple days ago is the Feast of St. Francis de Sales, another fantastic saint in the church. Well, the Salesian community uh, was named for St. Francis de Sales, but of course was started by St. John Don Bosco. But there were, of course, these two, I I told you about this off the top, these two very terrifying dreams and visions that he had, uh, but they're also super inspiring and that kind of drove Don Bosco's life. Let me tell you about the first one. It happened when he was only 10 years old. And by the way, the reason why it's his feast day today, he died on this day in the year 1888. That's right, 19th century. Uh, He was born on August the 16th, 1815 near Turin, Italy. You've heard of the Shroud of Turin, of course. Uh, the Turin Olympics what happened there. And um, from a very poor family, and tragically, his father died before he was even two years old. He was the youngest of three brothers, and his mother loved them very much and, and tried her best to take care of them. But he had to do a whole bunch of stuff to try to help the family and, and learn all these professions and take all these odd jobs. I'll tell you about that in just a second. But let me tell you about the first vision that he had. It happened when he was 10 years old and it was in the form of a dream and there was there was this group of i guess you could say juvenile delinquents if you will they were basically high school age guys boisterous loud rude yelling cursing blasphemies all kinds of stuff and so little john bosco is like i'm gonna take these guys out hey it's 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 one thing to be loud it's another thing to curse out our Lord and everything that's holy. So he he was he rolled up his sleeves and in in, in his vision he's ready to to throw down with these guys. I mean Royal Rumble. I mean this is going to be we need I don't know uh, the Undertaker off the top rope or something. But but then all of a sudden Jesus appears, uh, sort of robed in light in the, in this vision and, and says no 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 this is not the way this is not the way not with blows. Not with fisticuffs, as it were, but with love and gentleness, you will make these your friends. And so, little John Bosco was like, I don't think so. Because the next thing that happens in the vision, the, these, these, these teenage ruffians, if you will, turn into wild beasts. They, they, they become, they change into, they transform into werewolves, you know, hounds, lions, bears, tigers, oh my. And he's like, these guys are animals. But but then Jesus again said to him in the vision, this is your life's work. If you become humble, if you become strong, if you become manly, you will change these, my sons. And then what happens right after that? The wild beasts turn into meek little lambs, and they all sort of gather around uh, the feet of Jesus. They flock around the good shepherd. 
So this is the first vision. So the, the, these, these young men, these wild young men, were like beasts, if you will, more so than men. They become docile. They become, they become Christians. They become followers of the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. So that was sort of a sneak preview to his work, his future work with neglected um, kids, especially young men in the streets. And people used to make fun of him for that, by the way. We'll get into that in just a, in just a second. So he was like, well, how, how am I going to do this? Um, and, and so he had to help his family out. He, he took all these odd jobs. He, he did everything from being a bird catcher to making hats. He gathered mushrooms, um, spun wool. He, he bred silkworms, if you can believe this. Uh, would repair people's you know, stockings. You got a hole in your sock? Call me. You know? um, he was sort of a, a tutor, if you will, an after-school tutor. Um, herded sheep, worked on farms. And, it, and actually, this started when he was about 10, right after he had his vision. He actually would go to these kind of circus shows, and, and he would try to learn things from the circus shows. And probably a lot of you guys have heard about And I, I talked to somebody else at Relevant today who said, I really don't know much about John Bosco. Other than that, he used to do magic tricks, and he did. And he learned them from circus performers, and then he would kind of replicate their routines on the streets and entertain these juvenile delinquents. And they would also weave in stories about the gospel, and, and you know, there'd be a show, and then there'd be a talk. And then he'd try to kind of change these guys' lives. And so th- this, was, um, this is pretty interesting stuff. And, and I think all of us need, and maybe... And maybe this, you can think about somebody who's really affected your life as a mentor. He had a, he had a pretty uh, important mentor in his life who also became a canonized saint, by the way. And this is the richness of the, of the saints, the rich, richness of the church. Um, there was a priest um, who was actually newly ordained at the time. His name was Father Joseph Cafasso. And, and later on, he would be canonized as a saint as well. And he met John Bosco when he was only 12 years old, John and Father Joseph saw that he was like a really sharp kid, and he, and he had a lot of promise, and so he helped him out with his education. And when John Bosco was about 20, Father Cafasso uh, scrounged up enough money, and John's mom pitched in as well with the little she had, and, and he got enrolled in the seminary. And then six years later, he was 26 years old, John Bosco was ordained as a priest. So he went with uh, Father Joseph Cafasso, who also became a saint, as I said, he, co- he continued his studies at the Institute of St. Francis. Father Cafasso was in charge there, and he would minister to the poor. He would minister to prisoners. Uh, they they try to look after a boarding school for girls. They would help out in country parishes. And actually, when he was doing his prison ministry, that's where John Bosco became really aware of, of the need of, of all the boys who needed help. It's kind of the fulfillment of the vision that he had when he was 10 years old. And he wrote about this in his memoirs. He said, quote, I saw large numbers of young lads aged from 12 to 18, fine, healthy youngsters, alert of mind, but seeing them idle there, infested with lice, lacking for food, lacking for food for body and soul. It horrified me. Public disgrace, family dishonor, and personal shame were personified in these unfortunate souls. And he thought to himself, if these youngsters had a friend outside who could take care of them, who could help them, who could teach them about religion, they could be, they could be steered away from lives of ruin. And a lot of these kids were sort of consistently in the system. They'd keep reoffending and getting back in. 
and God just sort of touched his heart to help uh, these young men. And so this is really the kind of the fulfillment of the dream he had when he was 10 years old. And um, he, t- he taught these guys the trades, and he had done a lot of odd jobs throughout his young life as well. And so he knew a lot about the trades, would teach the trades to youngsters. Uh, he l- taught himself how to cook. He would feed these guys, teach them the catechism. And within about 10 years, there were 800 boys that were being helped by John Bosco, Father John Bosco. And um, so th- this is a big deal. And that's, that's around and about uh, 10 years later in 1861, uh, he founded the Society of St. Francis de Sales, the Salesians. And uh, the Salesian order was actually approved by the Vatican in 1869. In 1871, he founded uh, an order of women, Salesian uh, religious women, called the Daughters of Mary, Help of Christians, and they helped to look after um, girls that were destitute. And then uh, in 1874, he actually founded sort of a lay arm called the Salesian Cooperators that worked with uh, male and female uh, orders of uh, the Salesian. So anyways, so th- this was uh, the legacy of, of John Bosco. And by the way, around the time when he founded the Salesians, that's when he had the second vision. And this is, um, this is uh, intriguing as well. I just want to share this with you really quickly because I think this is really prophetic for our age as well as his time. It's really a perennial problem of all time, but the church is always under attack. And in 1862, so this is the year after he founded um, the Salesians, he had this another incredible vision, a dream, and he saw the Catholic Church as this mighty ship, you know, sailing the oceans. And and the Pope was trying, at his might, you know, he was trying to steer the ship. The waves were were breaking. It was really uh, just a storm that was raging. And there were all these other ships. There were enemy ships that were trying to fire at the good ship Catholic, as it were. And it was, they were sort of shooting out of cannons, not not uh, cannonballs, but books, pamphlets, um, other ideologies, if you will, in printed form, and just trying to destroy the the ship with, with their with their teachings, as it were. So big time waves, all these winds, kind of a hurricane, and and the Pope is just trying as best he can with all his might to to, to steer the ship, and he's trying to. To, to guide it between these two massive stone columns that came up out of the sea. So these huge stone columns, and on top of one of the columns, there's a gigantic Eucharistic host, and on the top of the other column, there is Our Lady standing on top of the column, a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So he, he's trying the best he can, the Pope, to steer, and he finally is able to anchor the ship with chains to, to these two pillars, the Eucharist and Our Lady. And then as soon as he does this, as soon as he kind of locks it in, the ship is now secure, all the enemy boats turn tail and, and leave. You know, it's kind of like master and commander. They just are out of here. So the wind grows calm, the storm stops, and it's, it's a dead calm. So that was another incredible vision of St. John Bosco, another dream that he had. So this idea that the church will always be under attack in every age, but two things that are going to keep the good ship Catholic afloat are, of course, our Eucharistic Lord and devotion to Our Lady, our Marian teachings, and and our our spiritual mother. And that's so important for us. Of course, we're in this big Eucharistic year because the National Eucharistic Congress is happening in July in Indianapolis. So relevantradio.com slash indie to get all the information on that, how you can be a part of it. We're all going to be there. 
uh, in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium uh, for the National Eucharistic Congress. It's going to be a seminal moment, I think, in the life of the church. So we need this. We, we absolutely need the treasure of the Eucharist and also devotion to Our Lady uh, to have total Christianity as Jesus intended. So that, that's another big dream that, that John Bosco had. And just, just one last thing here, one, one other quick anecdote. You know, the Freemasons tried to assassinate. I didn't know this until today. I, I, I found this incredible article about how the Freemasons tried to kill Don Bosco, not once, but twice. And this appeared actually today on the, the National Catholic Register website. And what the first person who tried to kill him was a young man who was part of John Bosco's community, uh, St. John Bosco's family, if you will. He was one of the young men that he had tried to help. And um, this guy's name was Alessandro Dasso. And he showed up at the gatehouse, at the Salesian gatehouse in June of 1880. And he's like, can I, can I talk to, to Father Bosco? Can I talk to Don Bosco? And his, his eyes were kind of like angry. And they were like, okay, well, you, you look like you're kind of trouble, but we'll let you in anyways. And so Don Bosco received him. But this guy kept getting more and more agitated, this young man, as they were kind of talking. And then finally, Don Bosco said, what do you want from me? Speak. You know that Don Bosco loves you. And that's when this kid is like, okay, I got to admit it. So he just falls to his knees. He starts crying uncontrollably. And he tells the truth. He's like, listen, I was hired to kill you by the Masons. The Freemasons have decided that you are, are have been sentenced to death. So we really, we, we kind of do need the Godfather here. This is, this is what it sounds like here. So they were, the, the Freemasons had dra- uh, drawn the names of 12 men that they wanted dead. And one of them was Don Bosco. And they sent this guy, Alessandro, to carry out the murder you know, him knowing Don Bosco, he's going to be, he's going to let you in. He knows you. And he said, I can never do it. You know, I, I could never, ever do this. And they're, they're probably going to kill me because I didn't kill you, but I could never kill Don Bosco. So he had this weapon he was hiding. He threw it on the floor and Don Bosco was like, Hey, Hey, you know, it's okay. I, you know, I forgive you. Let's, let's try to deal with this. But he, uh, he ran away. This kid, Alessandro ran away and on June 23rd of that year, he actually tried to kill himself. He, he threw himself into a river, but the policeman found him there and rescued him, pulled him out. He was still, his life was in danger by the Freemasons, but Don Bosco helped him escape, and he actually lived outside of Italy in hiding until he died. So um, that's a pretty wild story. There's, if they ever make a movie about Don Bosco, this has got to be, uh, be in it. And another guy, I don't think he was one of the kids who he helped, but another young man also tried to kill Don Bosco in December of 1880. He was talking with him in sort of a sitting room, and the gun just kind of spilled out of his pocket. And Don Bosco was able to kind of grab it without the kid noticing, and he put it in his pocket. And then when it t- came time for this young guy to try to kill Don Bosco, he's, he goes for his gun, there's nothing there. And then all of a sudden, Bosco says, it's almost like a James Bond scene, he, he says, we well, were looking for this. You know, he pulls out the gun, and he was like, uh-oh, um... Bosco is like, get out of here. Get out of here. Um, may God have mercy on you. So he, uh, he kicked him out and uh, could have had him arrested, but uh, he said, get out and don't come back. And uh, that was the last they ever saw of this guy. So pretty, pretty, uh, pretty wild stories about St. John Bosco, St. Don Bosco. Yes, they are one and the same. It's one guy. And we need to ask him to pray for us because 
There's certainly no shortage of young people today who are lost, uh, just as those youths were in his time. The more things change, the more they stay the same. But uh, they need help. They need Jesus Christ. And uh, St. John Bosco can help uh, with his intercession. We'll be right back on the K.O. Clark Show, 888-914-9149. This is the K.O. Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the show, 888 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. That song is called The Man. By the killers. And you know who really is the man? It's Father Rocky, of course. And he's got a killer trip lined up for you. And it's a pilgrimage. You can join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. Uh, you'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, of course, the Apostle of Divine Mercy, Our Lady of Czestochowa, the Infant Child of Prague. There's so much. Poland is just such a beautiful country with such rich Catholic history. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com slash Poland, relevantradio.com slash Poland. So find out more about Father Rocky's Polish pilgrimage right there. All right. Um, You can also, by the way... um, Speaking of Father Rocky, it's not too soon to talk about this. Uh, and I, I, Producer Jim, I, I really can't believe this. But guess what? It's only about two weeks until Lent. Can, you know, Ash Wednesday is Valentine's Day this year. That's correct. I'm correct about that, am I not? That'll, that'll be a lovely romantic uh, evening of bread and water that you can know. But uh, penance is coming, right? So let's... Uh, Live it up until then. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. But if you really want to have a transformative Lent, guess what? Speaking of Father Rocky, his Lenten lessons on the Mass are back for bite-sized glimpses into every prayer and word from the sign of the cross to the final blessing. It's a great, it's a really a good time to, to have a refresher on the Mass. Father Rocky's Lenten lessons on the Mass from the sign of the cross till the final blessing. It's all here for you and you can Transform your days of Lent, 40 days, with 40 lessons, with Father's weekly Eucharistic encounters as well, at relevantradio.com slash Lent. We're going to send these straight to your inbox. All you have to do is sign up at relevantradio.com slash Lent. And this is sponsored in part, by the way, Lenten Lessons on the Mass by the National Center for Padre Pio. Padre Pio, certainly, <laughs> Padre Pio and the Mass, the Mass is a Padre Pio, and I've talked to people who have attended Masses uh, celebrated by Padre Pio, and they're like, "Wow, this this guy, this was an out of body experience almost." So, um, uh, great great sponsor for the Lenten lessons on the Mass. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, let's go to the phones right now. Leanne is in Denver. Hi, Leanne. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for calling. Good. I listen to you every afternoon on my way home from work. Oh, thanks. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and I just, I, you just commented that um, it'd be great if there was ever a movie made about St. John Bosco, and so I just wanted to call and let you know that there are two movies out there. One is available mm. on EWTN, and it's called uh, St. John Bosco, A Mission to Love. Okay. And then the other one is a more recent one. Well, the, the, the first, the one I just mentioned is a, mm-hmm. I think it's an Italian made movie because the oh, star okay. is mm-hmm. Italian. Mm-hmm. 
And then the second one stars Ben Gazzara, and um, oh, really? and it's called yeah John Bosco the the True Apostle to Youth or something like that. And huh. uh, it's been a long time since I've seen that one. I I prefer the Italian one. Okay, you um, like the older one? Yeah, yeah. It's it's really good, really really good. I, I shouldn't be surprised at that. Yeah, that there that there are movies about Don Bosco and. Um, I don't know if they if they cover the visions in in uh, in these movies, but uh, today, I mean, with with what you can do with technology, they could probably have some pretty uh, pretty cool uh, AI effects. You know, kids transforming into monsters and then into sheep. I, I love it. But hey, Leanne, thank you very much for listening to the program out in Denver, beautiful Denver, Colorado. I'm glad to be uh, uh, your companion on the journey. Whether you're and that goes for all of you out there, whether you're in the car, whether you're at home, whether you're listening as you're walking the dog streaming relevant radio on the app or catching the podcast uh, don't forget you can download the newest version of the relevant radio app at your app store uh, if you're using an apple device or through the google play store if you're on android uh, just updated freshly and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy the new design our digital team was working really really hard on that the great share features you can share any of the shows that we have very easily with family and friends so yeah movies about saints are always fun and um there was a movie now, of course, speaking of Padre Pio, and I just mentioned him uh, ever so briefly a moment ago, we all know about Shia LaBeouf and uh, his conversion to Catholicism. He uh, is in the church now. He's thinking about becoming a deacon. Uh, we need to pray for this guy. Portraying Padre Pio in a movie recently was was a big part in his spiritual journey. There's another Padre Pio movie, though, that was... Um, I, this was an amazing movie. I, I loved this movie. It was directed by this guy named Carlo Carlei, C-A-R-L-E-I, if I if I got that right. And it, I think it's called Padre Pio Miracle Man. That was also really, really good. came out a few years ago. If there's some way you can... Um, oh, I'm sorry. Patrick Alog says, oh, it's pronounced LaBeouf. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, anyways, I guess I got too, uh, too French with it. I did study French uh, quite a bit. Um Growing up. So anyways, where's the beef? Where's LaBeouf? All right. Uh, so but this other Padre Pio movie is, I haven't seen the, the Shia LaBeouf one yet, but the, uh, the other one, uh, Carlo Carlet directing, that, that was, that was, that's an incredible film. I, I really enjoyed that. The stuff about Padre Pio it is so supernatural. Uh, one of my favorites, I, I can't resist the story. The, the American fighter pilot who saw Padre Pio in the clouds over Italy during World War II. He was going to bomb this town. He sees this friar in the clouds saying, don't do it, turn around. Am I seeing things? Have I, did somebody slip something into my coffee? What is going on here? And then when he met Padre Pio later, he's like, that's the guy. That's the guy I saw in the clouds. And Padre Pio just winked at him. No, I, I, just, I made that up. I don't know if he winked at him, but yeah. That that is a pretty wild uh, and uh, supernatural tale, but this this sheer concentration of the supernatural in the life of Padre Pio is really something else. It's really something else. So, thank you for telling me, Leanne, about those movies about Saint John Bosco. So yeah, it's um, it, it's it's so it's so amazing to be surrounded by. To be in a church of, of saints and to have this the sheer concentration of the supernatural in the lives of the saints. One of the greatest saints of all, of course, who evangelized young and old alike is St. Paul. We've been going through his letter to the Romans. I'm going to be sharing tomorrow on the Faith Explained. I, I think you'll really enjoy it. This, this 
little passage in Romans where Paul just kind of takes a step back and he is just blown away by God's plan about he's been going through salvation history and how God has miraculously worked everything out to bring everybody into the church, make it possible at least for everybody to come into the church. Not that everybody says yes to God's plan. He doesn't take our freedom away from us, but but how, how God works in our individual lives and how he works in the world, it, it's very tempting sometimes to think that, that as the founding fathers of the U.S. believe that God is a, they, they believed in, in the cosmic watchmaker theory. He's, he's taken his hands off the wheel. He's just wound up the universe and let it go. But it's, it's sort of careening on its own course. It's not the case. God is involved in human affairs and he's providentially arranged things to get his plan in motion, culminating, of course, with the return of Christ. But it is amazing, the interplay of human freedom and the divine will. And so we're going to be sharing about that. And very often with our lives, it's it's like a tapestry. We, we If you look at the other side, if you look at the back side of it, it, it just it looks like a mess. Uh, the stitches, uh, you don't see any, any prevailing image, but when you turn it around and, and you, you're looking at it from the right side, you say, okay, th- this is actually a beautiful, beautiful work of art. And that's what our lives are like. We, we look back sometimes and things make sense that didn't make sense at the time, how God weaves um, the fabric of our lives together along with those uh, lives around us and we influence one another. And so uh, I'm just happy that you're with me here on the journey on Relevant Radio and Happy that we can be a part of each other's lives on the Kale Clark Show for at least an hour uh, every day. I wish it was longer, but uh, hey, I'll take what I can get. And uh, like I said, if you've missed any of the episodes, be sure to catch the podcast on the Relevant Radio app. And keep it locked. Keep it locked on Relevant Radio tonight. Timory's coming up next, joined by Jim O'Day from Integrity Restored. Uh, great guest that she has on the show very often. And of course, the family rosary with Father Rocky will be along after that, the Family Rosary Across America, live on Relevant Radio, on the app. And uh, what's great about the Family Rosary, too, is the video component. It's awesome to see everybody calling in, the great graphics of all the states represented usually. And not just, hey, not just America, but all around the world as well. So wherever you may be, listen to Relevant Radio all day on the Relevant Radio app. I'm Kale Clark, Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alog took your phone calls. We'll catch you tomorrow. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.